Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Today I'm joined by Nemesis Dupree and Bailey Barnett, two Fordham students who'll share their firsthand experience with the university's global outreach experience. We're also joined by Paul Francis, who is director of Global Outreach. Good morning. Paul, can you just tell me the global outreach, or GO, as we call it, started encouraging students to travel and go through experiences way back in the 1950s. So what was the motivating factor to begin GO? Well, we don't really know about the origins of it. Uh, we do know that back in the 50s, students were traveling to work with different organizations and kind of learn about the realities of the world. But as in the 1970s, it really got started as what we call the Mexico Project. We partnered with a parish uh, somewhere in Mexico, and each summer would go down and, and do some work there. And that evolved into working in Central America, uh, all throughout the United States. And then in the late 80s, they started calling it Global Outreach, kind of to be, catch up with the times and be more reflective of expanse of the program. So it expanded a little bit, so you had to expand the name, basically. Exactly. And Nemesis, you visited a couple of places, but let's start with your experience in Nicaragua. What was that like? Um, it was amazing. I was like really nervous going in at first because I've never been over there, but I, it felt when I landed, it felt so familiar because I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican. And it just reminded me so much of my home countries and the people that I met. I felt like it was just like, like Latin America is a very separate place. Like the countries don't really work together, even though they're so close together. But when I was there, I just felt exactly how I felt at my home in my home country. So it was just amazing. And and you get to pick where you go. Is that correct? Do you get to pick where you travel or... No? No. No. Okay, how was that set up? How did you end up in Nicaragua? Uh, So basically, I applied for three separate projects. I applied to India, Mexico, and Nicaragua. And basically, you have interviews with each leader, and then they kind of decide amongst themselves. Like, they make a list of who they would like on their team. Um, They also take into account how you rate the project. So, like, if I put Nicaragua first. So I put Nicaragua first, and then I was on the India list, like Mm -hmm. the... The leader from India put me on his list, and then also the leader from Nicaragua put me on his list. So everybody's trying to get you to go with them. I mean, you know, like, I wasn't there, but, you know, this is what I got from it. Um, So they're fighting over you, basically, basically, is what you're saying. They they would go into a room and fight. Um, But it just, it depends on who would want me on their team, but also how I rate the project myself. So I do have some say, but ultimately it's up to the leader and how they want to construct their team. So Nicaragua won the cage match. So that's where you ended up going. I mean, actually, I ended up winning because that project (laughs) was amazing. It like literally changed my life. You Bailey, you stayed in the state um, and you went to a couple of different places, but uh, you went to Chicago. What, What made you choose Chicago? So I'm originally from Kansas City, Missouri. So I was really interested in going somewhere that was in the same region of the country that I was from the project before that I'd gone on New Orleans. So I was really interested in learning about social justice issues that are a little bit closer to home. So what were some of the issues that you dealt with? So I actually didn't get to go on my Chicago project. I was very sick. So I actually spent Uh, that break at home in the hospital. Well, in and out of the hospital, not staying in the hospital. But yeah, so sorry, I don't. Can I, have can I ask what you were answers. sick? Were you were you sick with? Can I ask? Is that okay? Um, yeah, I just have like a chronic digestive disorder, so they were just making sure that I was like all good and all clear. So that must have been sort of disappointing. Yeah, it was. I was definitely not super happy about it, and it was a lot of tough conversations to have with my team and my leader and my family about what was the best choice for me um, and whether or not I was going to go in to the doctor during that time or if I was going to go on the project because I'd already been working with my team kind of learning about um, the Chicago project focuses on like issues of 
homelessness and LGBTQ plus discrimination. So we'd already been like really learning about and talking about those things for several months leading up to it. So I do feel like I still got a lot out of it, but it was very disappointing to not be able to go on the actual project. And so when you went to New Orleans, what kind of issues are they dealing with in New Orleans that the Go Experience wanted to tackle? Yeah, so in New Orleans, we work with Project Lazarus. So it's a transitional housing facility for people living with HIV and AIDS. But we also kind of touch on the after effects of Hurricane Katrina. So we learn about the intersections of all of those different issues. And then we actually do some visits at other organizations around the area where uh, Jesuit volunteers that are sometimes friends with the Jesuit volunteers at Project Lazarus are staying at. And we learned about a couple of organizations there as well. So that was really cool. But our main focus was on people living with HIV and AIDS in New Orleans and their access to health care and housing and other things like that. So for uh, both Nemesis and Bailey, it seems like you're choosing where to go on these global outreach experiences by the issues that they are focused on as opposed to like, I want to go to Hawaii. It's more so I want to go and help people or immerse myself in a culture that deals with this type of issue. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'd say that's fair to say. Um, at least for me personally, I know that when I first actually applied to global outreach projects two years ago, I think that I was kind of intrigued by places just because I was new to go as a whole um, and wasn't really sure what I was doing um, and wasn't super, super well-versed on social justice issues. So everything was new and confusing and like a learning experience for me. But then we have a saying that says the project chooses you. And I ended up in New Orleans, which I think was actually the perfect fit. Um, And then from there, I kind of was able to grow in my understanding of social justice. And from there, I think I've chosen projects definitely based on the issues that they touch upon. But I would say at first, as a lost little sophomore, I probably was (laughs) very intrigued by the location of the project. I remember being like, I'm going to go to Alaska and Alaska's it. Like, this is where I want to go. This is where I should be. And again, as we say, the project chooses you. And I ended up in New Orleans. And I think that that was probably the best thing that could have happened for me. And same question for you, Nemesis. Um, What issues did you have to tackle on your on your go trip? Um, well, like in many Latin American countries, colorism is a big problem in Nicaragua, but so is ageism. And I didn't really know that until I got there. Okay, define colorism. So it's it's kind of like racism. Everyone in Nicaragua, let's say, is the same race, right? They all identify as Latino. But when it comes to... Sorry, their actual melanin in their skin. Yeah, yeah. Some so, have more, some have less, making them lighter or darker. Yeah, in most, if not all, Latin American countries, like white is just better. Right. That's just the mentality. So in Nicaragua, when we met a lot of people that were a little darker and especially that were older as well. Like that was such a big they were kind of almost outcasts in their own communities just because of what they look like or like what age they were. What kind of project did you work on that dealt with colorism? Like, what did you do? So we didn't work on anything over there, like specifically tackling colorism, because that's just such a big issue, honestly. Like, I wouldn't even know how to go about that. But we did focus more, like, poverty is a big issue over there as well. So, for my project, we worked on helping a family build a house. So, we just went to the project site the first morning, and there was a team there. They were super ready to, like, let us know, like, this is how you put a brick down, this is how you make cement, this is how we're gonna make the windows. So, we so worked you're on building that. this house from scratch. Yeah. Wow. It was so cool. You have no idea how fun making cement is. Um, <laughs> like, and the people that were, they were just so helpful. And the house was like, kind of like an attachment to the, to a house that was already made. But one of the, um, oldest daughters in the family just had a baby. So the parents thought it was right to give her a new home. 
Um, so right behind was just like the houses of the rest of the family, and they would just come out, and we would have conversations. And so like, can you describe what sort of what the house looked like before you helped build this this extension onto it? How many people were living in the house? It was like rows of like box shaped houses made out of bricks. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were two already, and then we were just building a third one. So we were building onto like the grander house, but it wasn't actually like an extension of the actual house. Um, so there were about nine people living in the first two houses that were already there and then the one that we helped build that was going to be the new home for the oldest daughter and her two kids wow nine people living in how many rooms mm-hmm. well it's like one room houses oh it's okay just like a, yeah okay and so so you're literally like mixing the cement do they take you through like how to do this first or do they kind of just emerge you in it and they go okay let's get started and then we'll show you as you're doing it yeah, so they first showed us how everything, like, they kind of explained to us, and it was a little bit of a language barrier because I was um, one of the only ones on my team that did speak fluent Spanish, and everyone over there was speaking Spanish. So it was a little funny because we had to use, like, mannerisms and just, like, pointing to things or just, like, them showing us what to do, and then we would just kind of, as best as we could, mimic what they were doing. All right. For you, Bailey, you were saying that when you went to New Orleans, you were dealing with poverty, you were dealing with the Project Lazarus. What specific is that. So Project Lazarus is a place that provides transitional housing for people living with HIV and AIDS. And what were you guys doing there? So a lot of what we were doing was actually just getting to know the residents, spending time with them. Um, We went to a jazz concert with them one afternoon, which was really, really fun. Uh, We spent a lot of nights sitting outside of Project Laz on the porch Uh, just talking with people for hours and, like, sharing snacks, watching the sunset. And then we did do some, like, more minor upkeep around the property. But I feel like our main purpose there was to learn and to be, like, immersed and to be in conversation with the residents. We didn't do a lot of, like, heavy, heavy service. We did do some gardening and things like that. But it wasn't by any means like building a house or anything to that level. (laughs) But I would think what you're doing is really important also because if if someone is dealing with any kind of disease, they might feel sort of outcast depending on how many family members accept them, how many friends they have. Did you find that just being there as a companion or just being there for someone else to talk to, that was part of the, the mission of why you were there? Definitely connecting with people is a huge part of global outreach. And we do have out of the four pillars that you mentioned, simple living, social justice, spirituality, and community. I would say community is like a very big pillar on the New Orleans project. So I would say that, yeah, like honestly, that genuine human connection is a huge part of why we're there. And I think that that's a reason why Fordham and Project Lazarus have had a partnership for so many years. It continues to be really strong. And yeah, it was definitely more of a learning experience for us. I feel like we almost got more out of it than anyone there did just because we only came in for a week and we did like very minimal like labor. Mm -hmm. But in terms of connections, I feel like we honestly learned so, so much um, from the residents there. And we're still in touch with a couple of them, which is really cool. I want to ask, did anyone in particular stand out you don't have to give their name but did anyone in particular stand out and make a connection with you and you can share a story of why you connected with this person yeah so there was actually somebody one night who a couple of us were talking to and they're like come here i want to show you something and there was a plaque somewhere on the property from a group that had donated to project lazarus um in the 90s so this is 2016 so it had been donated i think in 1995 so this plaque's as old as i am (laughs) um and they bring us over and they're like i want you to look 
look at this and we're like, okay. And they're like, guess what? And we're like, what? Like, where is this going? What is this conversation going to be? And they're like, I was one of the members of this group that donated like millions of dollars to this organization and now I'm living here. And oh, wow. they kind of talked through just like the different ways that their life had changed and how there's really no way to predict the path that your life is going to take. So this person now who brought you there, they now are living with uh, either HIV or AIDS? Um, yes. And they are um, in need of transitional housing at mm-hmm. the moment. So you made an they impact. Were- Well, I think that it was just really interesting to hear how humbled they were by the experience. And I feel like it was really humbling for all of us because we were going in intending to do this service. And I think seeing that this person had been able to give their own form of service years back and was now there shows how quickly the tables can be turned and how like connected all of us actually are. And how even though it can seem like going in somewhere for a quote unquote like service project, um, something like that, it can give off an idea of like we're giving and they're receiving and like that's it and the relationship's so much more. And that's something that Go really, really tries to foster is a sense of solidarity. But I feel like in that conversation I really felt like I really was able to feel that we all are on the same level and the circumstances of like the world outside us can affect us all differently. But at the end of the day, like we're all really on the same playing field and we need to be there for each other and have each other's backs. It's like coming around full circle almost. Yeah. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking about Fordham University's Cultural Immersion and Service Project Global Outreach or GO. I'm joined by Fordham students Nemesis Dupree and Bailey Barnett, as well as the director of Global Outreach, Paul Francis. Nemesis, how about you? Was there anybody in particular that you connected with or any experience that stands out for you while you were um, in Nicaragua? The first day of the project was really rough because everyone on my team that went to Nicaragua was white except me. So when we got to the space, like they like I heard them in Spanish, like, oh, they're Trump supporters, blah, blah, they're Americans. They think they're all that. Um, oh, wow. So they automatically assumed that because the the your group members were Caucasian, that they would be Trump supporters. Yeah. Yeah. That was I don't know if it was like it sounded a little serious, but I feel like, you know, that when you see like a new group of people, you don't really know what they're about. You're like, you know, and they're strange people in, in your home, ultimately. So so you're automatically putting them sort of in this box to yeah okay um so the second day that that was the first day so the second day um they found out that i spoke spanish so they came up to me um and they were like oh like what are you about like where are you from blah blah and they could like tell all like but supposedly have like this crazy dominican accent that they could tell from a mile <laughs> away but right there they were just like oh they, they asked that's when they started asking more questions about the team and then they were like oh, okay and i was like yeah i heard you guys yesterday calling us trump supporters <laughs> what was that about and they were like no 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 like we weren't serious it was just like you know you guys most of your team is white so we didn't know blah blah and right there they took me back to like one of the um their old room like the old house in the back and they had like a little tv set up and they were watching music videos of like reggae and stuff like things i listen to over here right and they were like showing me how they dance and they were like oh do you want to go out to the club tonight and, I was, and what like, are their no. ages who are they how many of them uh, how many are there and what are their ages it was at that moment, with that experience, it was all the kids. So okay. it was five kids, and they were ranging from the age of two to 19. Okay. Yeah, so it was, like, all in the middle there. But, yeah, they were just showing me how they danced and the type of music they listened to, inviting me to dance. And I was like, wait one second. And then I went to the front, and I grabbed a few of the girls that were on my team, and I brought them back. Because it was, like, a little gate that separated the front from the back. Mm-hmm. So I brought them in, and they were like, oh, they want to see, and they want to learn how you dance, too. Like, they don't necessarily speak Spanish, but they want to see, and they want to learn from you guys. And most of the songs were in English anyway. So then that was, like, 
like, oh, it was like a little dance party in the middle of the day. And then we went back because, you know, all the boys were doing the all the hard labor while we were in the back <laughs> dancing. But we went back and it was like after that, I felt like that's when my team kind of really integrated itself into the environment that we were around. Because the first day was a little awkward because they didn't really want to speak to us. But the second day with that little experience, I feel like it just made the rest of the trip way better. Well, it seems to me like you were that bridge that helped, you know, these two different cultures sort of come together with you going and getting them and making sure your team was a part of the the family did you do that intentionally or was is that just your personality give myself a little credit you know that's just me but I think it also like lends itself to the, the language barrier that I mentioned before like the right. fact that I spoke Spanish and the fact that I am Latina I think they they saw that and they like they, they were more ready to open up to me Um, but I'm glad that I just thought quick and just like got the rest of my team because I feel like that's where we started the conversations and like some of my team started learning more Spanish like there were other people on the team that spoke Spanish right. it just wasn't as fluently and they weren't they didn't identify as Latina or Latino Right. that experience kind of brought everybody together I think and you were saying that that was that was the challenging part so what was some of the more fun experiences that you had um well everybody loves babies and that family they had so many babies in their family um so I remember especially my chaperone she was like waiting the whole entire week to hold the baby and then on the last day I didn't know this was like a custom but somebody on my team mentioned that when somebody buys a new house or moves into a new house you bring them a pineapple for good luck um where did that come from I never I heard that no idea girl <laughs> I have no idea but he brought he's Hungarian so uh -huh. maybe um, it's from his culture, but we brought it up the idea. We thought it was a great idea. So the night before the last day at, at the family's house, we went to the supermarket and we bought a pineapple and we had like a little ceremony at the end. And it just felt so cool. Like we, we read from the Bible in Spanish mm -hmm. and then it was just like every, like almost everyone on my team read from the Bible in Spanish, like as best as they could. And it, it just showed how much effort they put in to that week. And that just meant so much to me. And I could tell it meant so much to the family too. But other than that, it was just another moment of the trip that really stood out to me was when we played soccer with the kids one day like we went to kind of like an after school program and then from there we took a huge bus and we went to the soccer field and we played soccer and it was just like my team was so athletic and they were really <laughs> out there like they had scrapes on their knees running and those kids were good too like we they gave us a run for our money but that was just one of the moments I was like you language barriers aside like language is very important for communication but sometimes you can communicate in so many different ways and I feel like that project and my team like proved that to me because no, I'm very proud and I was very happy that I could speak Spanish to kind of start that off. But I feel like even if I wasn't part of that team, um, they would have found a way to communicate. Yeah, exactly. That just meant so much to me. Like what Bailey said before, like we are all here and we're all human. And there's like this great human con connection that we forget about sometimes. But the projects like these kind of bring that to life. And Paul, I want to ask you. Um, so we talked about New Orleans. We talked about Nicaragua. Where are some of the other places that global outreach has these experiences and in, in, in other places that Global Outreach reaches out to? Sure, yeah. We have uh, about 30 to 35 different partnerships uh, throughout the United States and around the world. We have a few in Africa, a few in Europe, quite a few throughout the Americas, through uh, Central and South America, a few in the Caribbean, and then quite a few domestically throughout the United States. We really try to focus on a sense of partnership. We go to the same locations pretty much every year to work with the same organizations, so we kind of really plug into the work they're doing and try to learn with and from them and have an ongoing relationship, not just like a one-time thing. I and you said that, you know, Go really started to pick up in the 70s and 80s. So how has the Go program changed over the last decade or so that you've been involved with it, Paul? Well, it's definitely we've gotten a huge influx of students. I think we get upwards of 500 applicants per year. 
for about 300 to 350 spots. So unfortunately, we have to turn away a large chunk of students. Uh, but as Bailey mentioned earlier, we say the, the project finds you, uh, meaning that if you stick with it, eventually you'll find the one that you were meant to be on. And we just added a lot of depth over the years to we've really strengthened and redefined uh, the four values that you uh, you mentioned earlier. And uh, we really, really, in the past few years, have tried to focus a lot on solidarity over charity. Uh, I think the origins of Global Arch kind of had a charitable approach where we really saw some suffering and injustice around the world and wanted to go and address it and learn about it. And then as time progressed, we realized that was kind of a naive approach. We realized the true meaning in all this was in a sense of solidarity and really plugging into the organization that we work with and learning with and from them. So if a group does a service-based experience like Nemesis did in Nicaragua, or if it's more of an immersion-based experience, more of a ministry of presence like Bailey did in New Orleans, the ultimate goal is really learning and kind of opening our eyes to the realities of the world. And this question is for both Nemesis and Bailey. Can We lightly talked about the four pillars of GO, community, simple living, social justice, spirituality. How did these get incorporated into your personal experience on your trip? You know, social justice is like almost an obvious one because there were so many issues that we learned about Give me an example. before going for Nicaragua. Yeah. Like I said before, just like the effects that poverty has and, and another thing that I learned over there too is that because ageism, so ageism became a big thing because most of their population is 17 and under. Like oh. it's a really big chunk of their population. So there are so many, but another thing is like people also start having babies a little bit earlier or like they'll drop out of school a little bit earlier and move on to like, you know, grown up life, get a job and things like that. So there are. So you like, have like seventeen-year-olds, eighteen-year-olds who have kids, who have families, and who have to work now. Yes. So yes. they're not going to college. Is that true? Yeah. Like, you, like for example, the family that we work with, the nineteen-year-old that we were building the house for, she was nineteen and she had two kids, right? Mm-hmm. And that takes up a lot of time when you have to get money for your family and worry about those things. Like, you might not have time to continue your education per se, or you might not have the resources to continue your education. So we had a lot of important conversations about that over there. And when you mean ageism, give me an example of what you mean like what kind of experience can someone 16 17 are they going through where they're discriminated against because of their age in Nicaragua so most of the discrimination happens for older people so for example our bodyguard he was 45 and he was when we were working on um, the structure of the house he was like really helping us and he knew a lot about what to do so I asked him like how do you if you know so much like why didn't you go into construction and he told me that he was in construction but once he hit the age of 40 they they just fired him because he wasn't quote unquote capable to do the work that they needed him to do and I was just like 40 is kind of young like that's really Thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say thank yeah. you. <laughs> and he was just like, Yeah, by the time I hit forty, like I just had to find another job because they wouldn't let me work and no one would hire me simply because I was forty and I was quote unquote old in that society. So I was like, Wow, like but and he knew so much and he helped us so much. Like he was good at what he was doing. And so what happens is they get rid of someone that's their age at forty, they cap their job and mm-hmm. then they do they bring in the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen year olds to work in their place? Yeah. Well, I'm not too sure if they focus on that age group, but they definitely bring in younger workers, younger employees. Yes. Right. Help me understand how ageism affected what you did or did it? It did because we did meet a lot of older people in the process. Like a lot of people that we were working with were a little bit older, but that was just because of where we were working in the program. We were working the people that we were working. They didn't want to turn people like that away. But other than that, like what meant most to me was the conversation. 
conversations that we had around it. Like the fact that um, the, our bodyguard opened us up to us and our translator up, opened up to us about their experiences. Like it just. And what kind of experience did you, the translator have to deal with? Yeah. So he was 38. So we um, we spoke in two he, years before he's old. Yeah. I was like <laughs> getting close, getting close. Um, but he was honestly scared. He was just like, I am a, a translator. And that's like be, becoming a translator and getting that certificate really helped him because, you know, you can translate at any age, obviously. But he was like his old job was based around construction as well. And he was just like, I could kind of see them seeing me differently already towards the end. Like he was only 35 when he left there and he was just like you know like he could feel it a little bit already and then but thankfully with more education and things like that like he got this translating job so he had to know to what we call a second act like I've been doing this my mm-hmm. whole life but because of circumstances because I'm getting older I need to change my profession if I want to continue living and, and, and making money for my family is that sort of what you experienced or you saw yeah that's what i got from them that's and it was it's scary like can you imagine when you're around 40 like oh well you know gotta retire but it's just like it's not even like it's not like they retire at 40 with a pension or right. anything right it's just like you you're put out, out the of a pasture job. exactly yeah, you put out the pasture bailey how about you when you were you were in new orleans and your experience was a little bit different it wasn't service it was immersion there was there anything that you really can take away from that experience yeah so i think in addition to the community aspect that I talked about a little earlier. Simple living in terms of people over things and being really present. So I guess that also ties into spirituality was a really big part of our project. How how so? Something that's really neat about Global Outreach and that's just like very unique I feel like to the experiences that we have on Go is that you have one week where you just don't have your phone. In our case, we didn't have clocks, so we had no idea what time it was. Only our student leader had a clock. There are like no deadlines. We don't know the schedule. Only the student leader knew the schedule and there's really no outside obligation because you've told everyone I'm going here for a week this is what I'm doing like you cannot contact me and you kind of just have to be all there like there's no choice but to be all there and it's just so rare that that happens in our day-to-day life especially going to college and working in such a busy city where it's kind of encouraged that we're always busy and we're always productive and doing something it's weird to just be somewhere and that be the only thing that you're doing especially when the main thing you're doing all day is just talking with people and connecting with them like it's just such a rare thing to just be present with another person and that be like it now I want to back up to spirituality how did that connect you said simple living and spirituality sort of connect give me an example of what happened that kind of blossomed So for Global Outreach, we really try to focus on spirituality as being like mindful and being intentional and reflective more so than it being connected to any religion. Of course, if everyone like has a religion that they want to express their spirituality through, that's like more than encouraged. But as a group as a whole, because everyone comes from different faith backgrounds, we really focused on just being reflective and intentional and mindful. So that like tied in really well with being present because when you take out all those distractions and you take out kind of that need to be busy and that need to rush from one thing to another you really have like those moments with yourself to just sit there and kind of be like okay so where am I at today like what have I done like what's the significance of this conversation that I had and you kind of if you haven't already felt the meaning in your interactions you have like time to sit back and think on them and think about kind of what the meaning of them was if that makes sense no it does it's about being reflective and it's about kind of it sounds like what you're saying is in this time that you're getting in the time that you're taking away from all the busyness of life you're really 
thinking about the value of what you have to offer and the value of what is being offered to you in terms of, of relationship with people. Yes, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> if I just overcomplicated <laughs> exactly what you were talking about. So, Paul, if you had to name one thing that makes global outreach a success, what would that be? Or more than one thing. What makes well, it a success? Yeah, I think the if you really had to measure success, I think the two students here with us are modicums of success. They've both, I think, learned a lot, given a lot, and they really uh, transformed their education through this experience. So uh, that's always a hard thing to do. We can we can gauge numbers, we can gauge any any kind of number of applicants, but really seeing the effect it has on the students and our partner organizations is always the hard part to gauge, but I think that's the the biggest area I'd point to. And uh, we also recently have uh, really had a huge amount of support from a lot of our donors. Uh, the first year I worked here, we gave out $500 in scholarship funds to help students uh, shoulder the financial burden of a Go experience. Over the past, I think, three years, we've given out on average about $60,000 per year to uh, help students uh, shoulder the financial burden. Uh, one in particular is uh, the Matthew Lavin Scholarship um, the family of, of a student who passed away, graduated in 98 and passed away, I think, in 2003. And his family came together to uh, recognize how transformative global outreach was on his life. And they started a scholarship that has funded oh, several hundred students over the years to uh, have these transformative experiences. Paul, where do you hope to see the Global Outreach Project go in the next 20, 30, 40 years? I hope we continue to uh, learn with and from our partner organizations. hope we continue to you know have a good, strong influx of students. I'd like to see us reach as many students as possible. I think, unfortunately, we have a lot of students that might self-select out of Global Outreach because of the financial burden. That's why we're really trying to push the uh, the growth of the scholarship programs. But I really would like to see us continue to really be a, a source of education outside the classroom, which I think really helps take education that might be enlightening in the classroom and make it transformative when it um, becomes a hands-on experience. I'd like to thank my guests, Bailey Barnett, Nemesis Dupree, and Paul Francis. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Sunday at 6 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.